76% said that Palestine is a cause for all Arabs and not Palestinians alone. Top two countries rejecting normalization, Algeria and Mauritania, at 99% each saying that they reject normalization. Can you imagine being a Zionist in Algeria? <laughs> Very awkward. <laughs> You're just like, guys, 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 I know, I know, but... The occupation is getting more and more brutal. It's getting more and more violent, more and more wanton. The killings are daily. BBC said at least five people are reported to have been shot dead. A lot of early reporting lied about where the shooting took place. Did not happen inside of a synagogue but on a street in an illegal settlement. So Zionism was a minority view among Jews in Hungary at the time. The Zionist policy of collaboration played an important role in helping the Zionists exterminate Hungarian Jews. God forbid you shed a tear because someone called you a colonizer while you are mixing up your passports. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gaz and Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada. If shooting down a weather balloon was not enough for you, you would have turned it into a menorah. But also, you're terrified of Palestinian fire kites. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional podcasts per week, which is a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. I'd like to start this week with a reflection. Professor Nora Erika tweeted earlier this week, my beloveds in Palestine share they are anxious, fearful because the situation is worsening by the minute. I wonder how much Palestinians must endure before they are recognized as subjects of oppression and Israel, its army, propagandist, government, and deputized settlers as aggressors. I think there's something disappointing about what's happening right now in Palestine. There was all this energy and mobilization and attention on Israeli occupation in May 2021, and we thought we had made certain advances in terms of describing to the world what we go through as Palestinians, whether we are on the ground or in exile at the hands of Israeli occupation. And now we find ourselves in 2023, almost two years later, and there is this collection of circumstances that we find ourselves facing as Palestinians. The occupation is getting more and more brutal. It's getting more and more violent, more and more wanton. The killings are daily. Accountability is nowhere to be found. Just voted in their most right-wing fascist government in the history of their so-called state. And yet the reaction is nothing, whether it be from the United States, which continues to fund this project, whether it be from the media. We're seeing the opposite of what we saw in May 2021. There's less coverage now or, or coverage that is actually accurately depicting the situation than there, than there is perhaps in an even normal news cycle. T to see this happening two years almost after May 2021 is really, really disappointing. 
And it feels like we didn't really make the advances that we thought we made. You may have received a phone alert from NPR, BBC, organizations like that, that there were five people killed in the occupation. Headlines read, BBC said at least five people are reported to have been shot dead in a synagogue in Jerusalem with others injured. You never receive phone alerts when Palestinian children are murdered. You never receive phone alerts when that very same morning they had raided the Janine refugee camp and murdered people. And there were no updates about that, right? There was no buzzing on anybody's phone from a media organization when Palestinians are murdered daily. Second, that an Israeli is injured, it's immediate front page news. And I'd like to clarify, actually, because a lot of early reporting misled, and by misled, I mean lied, about where the shooting took place. The Palestinian Resistance Act did not happen inside of a synagogue, but outside on a street in Nev Yaakov, an illegal settlement. They have deliberately framed this resistance act in a way that takes away from the violence of the illegal settlements and the settlers who are protected and empowered by the state and pushes a specific emotional reaction by placing the shooting in a place of worship, which allows them to further weaponize anti-Semitism. This Twitter thread comes from Sana Saeed. Such a stark contrast in the way the State Department covered the shooting in occupied East Jerusalem versus the Janine refugee massacre from Ned Price. The United States condemns in the strongest terms the horrific terrorist attack today outside of a synagogue in Nev Yaakov. Our thoughts are with the victims and their families. We reaffirm our unwavering commitment to Israel's security. Hey, if something is outside of something, why are you including it in the thing? Then you look at what happened with the tweet where he says, Ned Price says, we are deeply concerned by the escalating violence and loss of innocent life in the West Bank following a counterterrorism operation. We underscore the urgent need to prevent further loss of civilian life and to de-escalate tensions. Palestinians are, of course, unmentioned, dehumanized by so-called counterterrorism, and then to prevent more violence, which is all obviously a platitude. When Palestinians are being murdered, the only thing that is being called for is de-escalation of tensions. Yeah. How can you de-escalate if you're unwaveringly committed? <laughs> right? You can't be, you can't, your unwavering commitment means sending more weapons, which does not de-escalate. Right. Hey, you so, know what would de-escalate yeah. if they ran out of bullets? Right. So there's a contradiction there. but. Even more so, why is that the only goal? Why is the goal to just have there be tension, but just de-escalated tension? We still have tension, 
but it's just less tension than there was last week. It's it's just a de-escalated tension. And it's trying to do a little back rub, exactly, a little it's like, physical therapy. I mean, it's like Palestinians are not allowed to aspire to anything in life. The only thing we can aspire to have, according to Ned Price, is to live in a context where per- perhaps there's just less tension than there was before. We can't aspire to be fully free. We can't aspire to not be occupied. We can't aspire to not be murdered in the street or have our houses demolished. We can just aspire perhaps to have that happen, but maybe a little bit less. The occupation is behind a drone strike on an Iran factory, according to a U.S. official. No. January 29th, Israel appears to have been behind an overnight drone attack on a military factory in Iran, a U.S. official said on Sunday. Iran claimed to have intercepted drones that struck a military industry target near the central city of Isfahan and said there were no casualties or serious damage. The extent of damage could not be independently ascertained. Iranian state media released footage showing a flash in the sky and emergency vehicles at the scene. A spokesman for the Israeli military declined to comment. The United States has stolen Iranian crude oil and then resold it and obviously has sanctioned them because of the drone connection to Moscow. So the Zionists are striking at Iran's drone facility because they are helping to provide drones to Russia. The United States and the occupation have put their money and weight behind Ukraine. They're like, look, if anybody's going to drone bomb civilians, it's going to be us. So last week, Netanyahu did an interview with CNN. How did that go? (laughs) Horrible. He at some point said that People can't, quote, get hung up on peace negotiations with Palestinians, saying that he has opted for a different approach. He said, when effectively the Arab-Israeli conflict comes to an end, I think we'll circle back to the Palestinians and we'll get a workable peace with the Palestinians. He said, I went around them. I went directly to the Arab states and forged with a new concept of peace. I forged four historic peace agreements, the Abraham Accords, which is twice the number of peace agreements that all my predecessors in 70 years got combined. Okay. He said, I'm going to circle back to the Palestinians like it's a corporate email. CC me on this human rights issue. Circle back. I went around. Yes. How can you circle back and go around? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you're, if you're, that's a full circle. You've, that's, you've done a circle is what you're talking about. That's correct. And then he said more peace agreements. Yeah. More. It's like, he's talking like Donald Trump. He's totally. like the best peace agreements, the best. Totally. Everybody knows it's the, the more five times as many peace agreements. It's like, he's selling a used car. He's selling a, he's selling his peace agreements. This lemon has six times as many peace agreements as the last Nissan Ultima. <laughs> Look, it's like what? What's Who's super, Nissan at war with? That <laughs> is super problematic with this whole interview. Obviously, he shouldn't even be given a platform on CNN to spout all this garbage. He is the leader of the apartheid state of our time, and all of these media organizations that are dealing with him normally, or anyone else that represents the apartheid state are going to go down on the wrong side of history. That's first and foremost, because not only do they give them a platform, but they don't challenge them in any way whatsoever. So he's able to go before CNN and say, 
oh yeah, I am going around the Palestinians. It's like, you are occupying Palestinians. You are physically on top of Palestinians. The entire project of Israel is sitting on top of Palestinians. Nothing about that screams going around. Okay. So, so there's a clear, there's a clear inconsistency in the very physical reality of Israeli occupation and what he's saying. Oh, I went around them. You can't go around us. You're sitting on top of us. What are you talking about? You built a wall around them. The only platform that he should have is a plank on a pirate ship. But even more, right? Like the, the notion that he's like, oh, no, no, we don't need to deal with Palestinians and all of their grievances. What about these other agreements that I delivered to you to normalize relations with countries that I was doing business with already and that I was perfectly, you know, fine with? I just brought it to the surface. Shouldn't I be, you know, congratulated for that? It's like, no, you should not be congratulated for putting pen to paper with these Zionist Arab governments. I'm a good boy. Congratulate me on these weapons contracts. Very strange that the conversation is allegedly about peace, but then all of the contents, everything he's actually bringing up is just about weapons agreements, economic agreements, agreements with Arab governments that are despots that totally oppress their civilians that have no freedom of speech, no freedom of organization. I don't understand. He's like, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. We should... But that, but that, that, but that to them is the same as peace, I guess. It's very strange. But the thing is, is because you have media organizations like CNN that are not challenging him in any way, shape, or form, he's allowed to just say that it stands and then it gets printed. But the Arab people will not be fooled. And I think this is something that is really important to keep in mind. The Governments of certain Arab countries may have entered into these normalization agreements with Israel, but a recent poll carried out in 2022 called the Arab Opinion Index, which is one of the largest polls taking place on public opinion of Arab people, has published its results and 76% of respondents to the poll said that Palestine is a cause for all Arabs and not Palestinians alone. Now, this is super important because I think a lot of the discussions that were taking place around the time that these so-called Abraham Accords were were signed was that there was the, perhaps this notion that, okay, is it is it just these governments? Are the people, in fact, opposed to it? Are less people opposed to it than they were before? Is there a shift in, in the consciousness of Arabs um, across the region? And the answer very clearly is no. The majority of Arabs across the region still see Palestine as their issue. The Middle East Monitor commented on the outcome of this poll saying that Arabs are not merely expressing sympathy or solidarity with Palestinians. They are instead stating that the Palestinian struggle against Israeli occupation is a collective Arab struggle. So it is a political statement, and it's a very strong statement. And they noted that these views are the same across all sections of society throughout the entire geographic region of the Arab world, from the Gulf to the, the Maghreb, i.e. Morocco. Zionists yeah. looking at that poll like, they all hate Jews. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that? Can you believe that's the common thread? 
The third point they made was that the public opinions that were examined in the poll come from countries whose governments either have full diplomatic ties with Israel or who vehemently reject normalization. So regardless of what the, the, the government's stance on the apartheid state is, the people are vehemently opposed. Just so you know, the study is quite extensive. They have polled 33,000 individual respondents between June and December 2022 on this point. They're like, the Zionists are like, this poll shows that we can't negotiate with them and we have to kill them all and also check out these peace normalization agreements that we've signed. So many, so yeah. many of them murder them all. Okay, what's happening? Where am uh, I? <laughs> top two countries rejecting normalization with Israel, according to this poll, were Algeria and Mauritania, top at 99% each of respondents saying that they reject normalization with Israel. Wow. Can you imagine being a Zionist in Algeria? <laughs> <It's> very awkward. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just like, guys, 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 I know, I know, but. <laughs> so here uh, on your on your point, Michael, that, oh, th this poll, yeah, it, it, what a Zionist would say is, oh, this poll just shows that everybody across the region is anti-Semitic. Okay. Well, this poll actually asked these respondents um, why they rejected diplomatic ties between their countries and Israel. And the respondents mostly cited, quote, Israel's colonial and expansionist policies, as well as its racism towards Palestinians and its persistence in expropriating Palestinian land. Yeah. And Zionists are like, <laughs> like I said, they hate Jews. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's pretty clear the reasons why they're unhappy. And I saw a video of a Palestinian on Twitter last week being like, I don't know how many times we have to keep explaining this, but we don't dislike them because they are Jewish. We dislike them because they are oppressing us. And if they were any other religion, we'd still dislike it because we're being oppressed by them as his house no. is being bulldozed in the background. Everybody knows that it's okay if you're Christian, right? <laughs> but we we only hate Christian Zionists. Jews, you get a free pass at colonization because like... We don't want to offend you. We don't want to get your feelings hurt while you're bulldozing this 90-year-old woman's house. God forbid you shed a tear because someone called you a colonizer while you are mixing up your passports. <laughs> oh, of course, Tubishvat is coming up. Tubishvat is the time when Jewish people share a connection to the land, to trees, to nature. Right. And Zionist settlers will, of course, be celebrating by lighting Palestinian olive trees on fire. As they As do they, every year. Every year. Yes. It's a it's a yearly tradition. I, I wouldn't even say yearly. It's it's pretty much like monthly at this point. It's pretty much daily. They're celebrating Tubishvat outside of the calendar. Very dedicated. Somebody got mad at me for making that joke last year. They, they were did. like, you shouldn't, I, yeah. you shouldn't say that. And I'm just like, yeah, be mad at me. Right. I remember it's like the outrage was directed at the joke and the outrage yeah. should be directed at the desecration of Palestinian property. Yeah. Hey, get off YouTube and grab a fire extinguisher. Okay. Don't fucking talk to me. I just want to shout out a new book. Mm -hmm. uh, by Jahan Helu, who has published very recently a book entitled Making Palestine's History, Women's Testimonies, a book that collects the narratives of Palestinian women, mostly taken from interviews that were carried out with Palestinian women in Lebanon, the majority of whom were involved in the General Union of Palestinian Women. And it 
allows them to recollect their time in Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon and the role that they played in the grassroots anti-colonial resistance against Israeli occupation and violence. Check that book out. We don't often see stories and narratives focusing on women resistors in this struggle and anybody that is working on a project to highlight the role of Palestinian women in the struggle definitely have to support. I want to read an article from the Jerusalem Post. The mm-hmm. title is, Hospital Moves Arab Woman After Jewish Woman Refuses to Share Room. So there is a Palestinian couple who are residents of Nazareth. They made an attempt to convince the Jewish woman to let them stay in the room before finally giving up. This woman was in labor and was told to switch rooms. Jewish woman objected to being hospitalized in the same room. The Palestinian woman who arrived at the hospital with her husband late on Tuesday night was told that the room assignment at the hospital was not as per her request as she was asked to leave her room. Dr. Wasim Brock, the Palestinian woman's husband, recounted the racist incident in an interview. At around midnight, we were told that my wife would be moved to another room. I don't want these people because they are Arabs. The staff tried to convince her, but she continued arguing and objecting. I later told her, you know what? Maybe we don't want to be in the same room with you. We no longer feel safe being around you. Imagine looking at a Palestinian woman in labor and being like, nope. Gotta inconvenience her further. Oh, she's just a Palestinian with an Israeli Pal- passport because yeah. she's, she's a, from the twenty percent. That she's a Palestinian Israel. citizen of Israel. By the allowed. way, those those are the citizens that they're always like. There's no apartheid in Israel. Right, we have right. Arabs here, and they can. They vote. serve as doctors, they but can, also they yes. can't share the same medical exactly. room as me. Just the idea that like you could look at a pregnant woman. And still not have any sympathy. They not do it have all the time. Empathy. They prevent right. them from 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 proceeding at checkpoints. They stand there and block pregnant women in labor at checkpoints. And women die. Palestinian women die every year because they're not allowed to access hospitals because they have to deliver at checkpoints because there's an Israeli soldier saying no, you won't pass. The worst no, Gandalf remix. No sympathy for the pain of labor. There's no sympathy for the the value of family. There's no acknowledgement of the sacredness of human life. All they do is murder. Even if you do make it past the checkpoint, you could still be moved from your hospital room. Meanwhile, they're like, we live in a metropolis. It's a utopia. We're working together. Think about coexistence. And it's like, no, you're liars. You're weird. Everybody hates you. There's some really weird Zionist propaganda on Twitter. They're now uh, like tweeting videos being like, watch an Israeli soldier plays with a Palestinian boy in Hebron and then tagging not on the news. Yeah. Uh, Okay, but they're also murdering. Hey, if it's not on the news, where'd you get the photos from? Well, I don't know. It's it's a video of a soldier kicking a ball back and forth. But Yeah, of course. You know. What are we doing here? Is it is that does that cancel all the murder? Love the responses. Apartheid is so adorable. 
Beautiful. What kid wouldn't love playing football with an occupying soldier carrying a death machine? It's what dreams are made of. Zionism is one hell of a drug. Everybody knows you can't play football without a machine gun. Zionist media reports that a Zionist soldier is attacked by child soldier with projectile cylindrical device. Yeah, right. He was a threat. That's what yeah. it always is. It's always about how we are a threat to them when they're on our land. So here's a tweet by Muhammad Shehada, and it's two pictures. On the left, Khalil Sakakini's home in 1934 Jerusalem, which he put everything he had into building. Zionist Haganah militants took his home in 1948. On the right, in the occupation, the state, the Zionist state, gave the house to the Women's International Zionist Organization. Sakakini became penniless refugee, and you know, they're just probably tweeting from that location about how big of feminists they are. In 1934, Sakakini sent a jubilant letter to his son, Sari, who was studying in the U.S., telling him that they finally have a place to call home. He described his relief that he can retire peacefully and his wife's excitement of not having to move between rented places. 1878 through 1953 was one of the most influential Palestinian intellectuals, named each room in his house after an Arab capital, Cairo, Damascus, Sana, Baghdad. His home had a rich library and was a meeting place for artists, poets, and leaders from the Middle East, North African region. In 1948, the Zionist Palmach wreaked havoc on Sakakini's neighborhood, Kataman, in Jerusalem, forcing its people to flee and looting their homes. Two days later, Sakakini found himself a refugee in Cairo, listening to the radio telling him that his home was taken over. After Israel's founding in 1948, Sakakini's home was given to an Israeli family. His library was looted and taken to the Jewish National Library at the Hebrew University. The house was adorned with Israeli flags, obfuscating its history. He was never allowed to return with his family. In 2014, a journalist visited Sakakini's house and met its resident. Raphael, a Jewish Israeli from Kurdistan. Next door is a Jewish woman from the U.S. who thinks Raphael is, quote, primitive. At the house's entrance is a picture of Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, who called Arabs rats and snakes, which is actually Nazi rhetoric. But ironically, Sakakini, who was imprisoned in 1917 for giving refuge to an illegal Jewish migrant in Palestine, poet Alter Levine, was made a refugee himself by the occupation. Israeli law only allows Jewish Israelis to reclaim properties they once owned before 1948, even if compensated. I think every Israeli should ask themselves a question of who lived in the house that they're occupying. You find that information out and it doesn't bother you that the owners of the house are no longer in the house because it was stolen, it was taken over, and now you're in it, then that's a, a moral problem. That that means that your morals are not right. They're um, like, hey, if you want to make an omelet, you got to massacre free people. It's like, damn, what kind of fucking omelets are you making? <laughs> Somebody told me recently they enjoy when my jokes bomb on the pod, so... This like episode when, will be ripe with those. There's a great article in Jadalia about Sekikini, and they talk about his diaries. He began to keep diaries in 1907 and kept them for many years. Uh, he talks about a lot of issues dealing with 
Palestinian, growing Palestinian resistance to British and Zionist colonialism. Also, there's so much ado about this so-called synagogue shooting, which was actually not at a synagogue, but an illegal outpost. And meanwhile, there was a new member of Knesset, Sukkot, a violent thug who was repeatedly arrested by the occupation itself for burning a mosque, destroying Palestinian properties, orchestrating and executing violent attacks on Palestinians. Sukkot was never charged due to lack of evidence. He's like, he's got the matches and the lighter fluid in hand, and they're like, not enough. Dr. Dre came through and said, like that type of vibe. In 2012, Israel temporarily expelled the now Knesset member Sukkot from the West Bank because his actions posed a serious security threat. He co-founded the illegal settlement outpost Avatar on private Palestinian land. Now he just became a lawmaker. Oh, and then uh, there was a billboard that was taken out in the Bay Area that said, you don't need to go to law school to know that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, and it's by you belong. I think we've actually we've spoken about them and how they are a part of a network of people who dox Palestinians for, like, prizes, basically. Yeah, we've covered them at large. Check out the Electronic Intifada article that we were mentioned in with them. But anyways, there are Jews in the Bay Area who went up and changed the sign to read, you don't need to go to law school to know anti-Zionism is anti-racism, Jews for free Palestine. So shout out to the Bay Area Jews. Anti-Zionism is strong up there. And this obviously comes on the wake of the whole manufactured Berkeley scandal where they claimed that there were Jew-free zones. Sarah Silverman got involved. A bunch of celebrities started saying that. And it's the same thing where they posited a lie, right? Shooting in a synagogue. The media reports it. And then these huge celebrities who are invested and have a following end up regurgitating this same lie that now becomes fact for a lot of people. I've been looking at accounts posting old photos of Palestine. There's an account which posted a photo of women, Palestinian women, at the Lidda train station in Palestine in 1938. And you look at the photo and you see a bunch of people trying to get their bags, trying to get on this train. Not a single Zionist soldier in sight paints a very, very different picture of what life was like in Palestine and how life would have evolved in Palestine had it not been for the settler colony. And on that note, I got some more old photos of my family. I just posted a photo of my great-grandparents that I got from the WhatsApp group where we're planning our family reunion. Uh, now they're sending all these photos of our, of, of our great-grandparents. It's nice to see that stuff. It really, it's very touching as a Palestinian to to connect with that stuff, the old photographs, because that is, in a sense, that is all that remains of, you know, normalcy in your mind about your origins. Everything after 48 is just panic and anxiety. Not to say that things weren't already headed that way for some time, but but there was a clear break in 48 where the state is established and there's like the point of no return. But I do enjoy seeing photos of Palestine from, you know, the thirties and the twenties because I see what, you know, what it was like, what it could have been in, in an alternate reality in an, in, a, in an alternate world where there was no Zionism. So on February 2nd, the electronic Intifada reported 
that a survivor of the German-led European genocide during World War II resigned from the British Labour Party following a threat of expulsion because he was to speak at an online Holocaust memorial event organized by a left-wing group. That's a lot to digest. That's a tongue twister. He resigned following threat of expulsion because he was supposed to speak at a Holocaust memorial event? Hey, classic Zionist move, though, threatening expulsion. Yeah. They're like, we don't even care if you survive the Holocaust. We will kick you out of an organization. Stefan Kapos was born in Budapest, Hungary in 1937. His father was deported to Belsen concentration camp while he and his mother and his siblings went into hiding using false papers. Half a million Hungarian Jews did not escape. They were murdered by the Nazis, who were helped, amongst others, by Rezo Kastner, the leader of the labor Zionist movement in Hungary. Although Zionism was a minority view among Jews in Hungary at the time, the Zionist policy of collaboration played an important role in helping the Zionists exterminate Hungarian Jews. Kastner knew that the Nazis planned to deport and murder Hungarian Jews. He made a secret deal with the Nazis that he would help prevent a rebellion among Hungary's Jewish masses who were marked for death. In exchange, he would be allowed to handpick a group of prominent Jews and Kastner family members to leave the country safely on a train. Meanwhile, Kastner and his operatives lied to the Jewish communities that the trains the Nazis were putting them on were taking them to be resettled in another part of Hungary. In fact, they were going to Auschwitz. Following the war, Kastner went to Israel, where he became a government official. No surprise there broadcaster and parliamentary candidate. In Israel, he faced accusations of collaboration with the Nazis, but an Israeli judge found that the accusations of collaboration were true. One cannot estimate the damage caused by Kastner's collaboration and put down the number of victims which cost Hungarian Jews. He was threatened with expulsion because he would have spoken to his experience of the Kastner project in Hungary, which was driven by Zionist ideology. He would have spoken to the fact that his father was a victim of Kastner's scheme. And he was threatened with expulsion because he would have spoken to the fact that he had a personal experience with the Kastner project in Hungary, which was driven by Zionist ideology. He would have spoken to the fact that his father was a victim of Katzner's scheme and ended up stranded in a concentration camp. He also made a statement supporting Palestinians, saying that the defense of Palestinians living under a brutal occupation is very important to me, particularly as a Holocaust survivor. He added that Palestinians live under a system of apartheid as recognized by Amnesty International and other major human rights organizations. Refusing to be threatened into silence, he resigned from the Labour Party. He added that your attempt speaking to the Labour Party to effectively bar me from speaking about the Holocaust on Holocaust Memorial Day was the last straw for me. Under Labour leader Keir Starmer, who declared that he supports Zionism without qualification, there has been an escalation of the witch hunt targeting left-wing party members, especially supporters of Palestinian rights. A disproportionate number of those investigated, suspended, or expelled under Starmer's campaign of allegedly fighting anti-Semitism are themselves Jewish. So basically... If you want to be a member of labor, you have to support Zionism without qualification, even if you're a literal Holocaust survivor whose parents were sent to concentration camps because of Zionist collaboration with Nazis. You're not allowed to speak out against Zionism. That's the moral of this story. And if you do, then you're going to be threatened with expulsion. And then to that, he said, no, thanks, I'll resign. Are you even serious about the safety of Jews if you haven't threatened a Holocaust survivor? Folks, that's been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. 
go ahead and check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com and look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. That's been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. That was pretty good, huh? God forbid somebody call you a colonizer <laughs> while you're mixing up your passports. Yes, yeah, that was good. off. That was off the dome. That might make the promo. <laughs>